Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Welcome everyone to the Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep, but the conversations are deeper. And today we have an amazing, a brilliant guest, uh, Megan Lewis of Digital Hammurabi. Uh, I'll give a little bit of an introduction. Megan Lewis is the brainchild behind the wildly popular Digital Hammurabi, which aims to provide reliable, accurate information about the ancient Near East through the YouTube channel, Hebane podcast, books, and more. Megan Lewis uh, has a BA from Birmingham University uh, and in ancient history, uh, a master's of philosophy from the same in Assyriology, and a master's um, uh, in Near East studies from John Hopkins University, if that wasn't enough. Uh, she also at uh, attained ABD status. Uh, in a PhD program at the John Hopkins University. Uh, Megan serves on the Board of Directors for HAPS, which stands for Humans Against Poor Scholarship, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing academic research to the general audience and increasing diversity in academia. HAPS provides funding for students researching the ancient Near East. Uh, Megan has also helped uh, produce uh, and edit and publish her husband, Dr. Josh's um, books, two of which, uh, uh, which, two of which I have here. <laughs> which is Did the Old Testament uh, Endorse Slavery? Highly recommend, super easy to read. And this one, uh, The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament. These two are amazing. I especially love chapter two in this book, which goes over the history of um, the, uh, I think it's chapter two, is it? Yeah, it goes over the history yeah. of, um, yeah, of the Near East. Um, Megan Lewis and uh, her husband, Dr. Josh, are quickly becoming the darlings of online discourse around anything related to ancient Near East and, Hebrew, and the Hebrew Bible. Along uh, with that, both Megan and Josh um, use their online status to stand up for their, for their progressive values, not shying away from discussing the spectrum of human sexuality, as well as mental and physical illness, even when doing so is highly personal, choosing to normalize their human experience in the hopes of helping others. Megan is a Christian of the denomination Episcopalian, uh, identifies herself as queer, and along with her husband, Dr. Josh, are becoming two of my favourite people on the internet. Welcome, Megan Lewis. Thank you, David. That was a lovely introduction. <laughs> I mean, I thought your husband was hard, but um, to, to, <laughs> to get everything down, but you know, you've got a lot, you've got so much. <laughs> I had to like cut it, keep cutting. So yeah, it's amazing. You guys are, uh, I, I really do mean that you guys are the best thing that's happened to the, this conversation in many years. Um, I appreciate that. From my, from my perspective. Uh, and for anyone that's new to the Deep Drinks podcast, this is where uh, we sip the drink of the guest choice um, and we discuss deep topics. So uh, if you like this contact, content make sure you subscribe we are getting to a thousand subscribers we're nearly there i'm getting very excited about it um and so yeah if you like this content make sure you hit subscribe and today we're drinking some tea aren't we we are we're drinking raspberry leaf tea yes i've never had this before so do you like it it's very yeah it's um very herbal yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm not it's much my, I drink far too much black tea as a British person. I, I think I'm contractually obliged to. Um, so this is my attempt to decaffeinate myself in the evenings. Oh, so it's not caffeinated. That's good. Mm, no. That's good to know. Yeah, I think I drink too much caffeine as well. I'm lying in bed at 3 a.m. and I'm going, why can't I sleep? Um, <laughs> so, um, Megan, I'd love to talk about um, your journey, um, like how you uh, identify as a Christian, how you became a Christian. 
Mm. I'd also love to um, uh, find out why you got interested in study, um, especially um, your research to academia and also meeting Josh. I'd love if you could tell parts of that story. Definitely. So um, the religion thing first, I was I was just raised um, Anglican. Um, My mum took us to church most Sundays, um, but it was the church I went to is is a very old, tiny English countryside church. It's made of stone. It's in the Doomsday Doomsday Book, um, which probably doesn't mean anything to anyone outside of the UK. Um, It's really, really old, Um, like older than the United States of America old. Um, And it had like five people attended regularly and I, we always joked that the congregation doubled in size when my entire family attended because I'm one of four um so just a, a very like gentle introduction to religion and um like there wasn't a whole lot in the way of theology or doctrine it was more at least the way that my mother brought us up it, it was more a religion of um do unto others um don't cause any deliberate harm um and god loves you uh and like he loves you the way you are not the way that um the rest of the world thinks you should be necessarily um so yeah i I just it was just how i grew up and it's something that um does stay with me i will say that it's not something i've always found terribly easy there are a lot of things that kind of make me like I like having some level of certainty about really everything in my life and not being able to like point to something and prove that it's true is is troubling and I think that's probably the case for a lot of religious people um but I've I've kind of reached the point where the truth like the factual basis doesn't necessarily matter anymore the way that um the way that I was raised with this particular brand of religion for me is more about doing what I can to make the world a better place in the time that I have. Um, and I, I find that very valuable. Um, and I, I think that's a valuable thing regardless of whether you believe in, in a deity or an afterlife or anything, anything similar. Um, I, when I was in college, I worshiped as a Methodist. I've been to Quaker meetings and then I came back to Methodism very briefly in DC because we found a really nice Methodist church that, um, that I enjoyed. Um, and yeah, so now I'm in the US. I worship mainly as Anglican. I haven't really been to church in a couple of years because there's a pandemic going on, um, which makes mm. me a little uncomfortable about leaving the house and gathering with large groups of people. So mm. yeah, who knows who knows if that will pick back up again. But yeah, for the time being, I'm still I'm still identifying as Christian. Yeah. Well, um, I've heard about that pandemic. It's been a bit of a pain. Um so uh, that, that's very interesting. So uh, obviously, Josh, your husband is an atheist. Um, mm-hmm. Have you? I saw something you said on Twitter, which was which was um, uh, one of the most beautiful things I've read, which is like, um, it's not a problem because we respect each other and love each other. Something along the lines of like, because we're yeah. not horrible people. Can you explain <laughs> like why, like the the dichotomy? Like, is is there like a was there any conflict there with um, Josh being an atheist and you being a Christian or? No, no, never actually. Um, and when we first married, I mean, we, we got married in my home church. Um, he attended church with me when we, um, 
were first living together in the in the US. We took our children. They went to the Sunday school. Josh taught a few Sunday school classes for the grandma. <laughs> that is, um, that's adorable. <laughs> and they loved him. They he's a very knowledgeable person. I think they were very glad to have him. Um, yeah. The resource. So no, it, it's not, just never been an issue. And actually, I'm doing a show in a couple of. Uh, no, in June, I think late June, uh, on Bitty Buddha's channel with um, Jess, Queen of the Heathens, uh, about like, because she and I are good friends, about how you can be friends when you have this kind of religious disconnect. I'm like, well, it just really isn't an issue. Uh, and mm. I think part of that is because I don't require other people to believe the same as I believe in order to view them as good, whole, moral people. Um, and Jess and Josh and many of my other atheist friends don't require me to be an atheist um, mm. to take me seriously as a person. Um, yeah. Obviously, there are probably a fair few atheists who would not have me as a friend because um, part of the community seems to view religious leanings or religious belief as mental illness um, mm. or some kind of intellectual defect, um, which I obviously don't disagree with, but that's okay I, i'm not gonna start yelling at them about it it's that's how they view yeah. the world and that's fine uh but yeah. no never been an issue with josh wow that's awesome um we also had um jessica heathen queen on the podcast uh, two episodes ago and um it was we got so drunk so so very <laughs> drunk um, <laughs> and for me it's always like 10 in the morning or 11 in the morning so like <laughs> the rest of the day i was like white like <laughs> so yeah uh, it was a party but um yeah it's 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 uh it's it's funny you say that like uh i have a i have a discord that's um slowly um getting a lot of like community around we're doing a bunch of cool stuff at the moment and um my only mod is a christian who i met online mm -hmm. uh doing um doing street epistemology stuff so i met i met him online and he ended up joining the server he was like the most active and 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 stuff and uh it's really funny that the you know we got a bunch of atheists on there and the only person i trusted enough to be a mod uh was the christian guy and yeah. so it's it, i think that there's a way you can engage with people who have um different beliefs uh, we've got christians on there um we even have like muslim uh, uh ex-muslims i think we have might have some muslims and stuff so um, some Hare Krishnas, buddhists it's, it's really it's really good to for yeah. people to be able to get along because sometimes yeah. you see this yeah. like like just because you know people believe different things doesn't mean we have I, to I hate think each other me the, the crucial the crucial part regardless of what faith you are and all faiths and none is um not viewing people as lesser because they believe differently to you mm. I, I think if you can start from that basis you probably are in a better place for mm. um meaningful relationships than than if you start from somewhere else yeah i'll i'll um i'll gen, gen, generally respect someone's belief um usually usually when someone disrespects the boundaries that i have like if i like i've run into street preachers and i said hey uh, i'm not comfortable having this conversation it makes me anxious and then they keep going and then mm -hmm. that's why i take the kick, kick gloves off and start going hmm, what do you think about slavery and the start, i start um doing the uh <laughs> asking questions that make yeah. them uncomfortable um but in, in the most part i can get engaged with nearly anyone um about anything uh, even if the, their views are absolutely abhorrent I've, I've been talking to some flat earthers and i don't know what is with that community but the whole community seems to be very anti-semitic and uh and uh it's really hard to have those conversations but i'm trying to engage with them in a way that um is responsible and it's been very a very interesting line to walk um, mm -hmm. 
Anyway, um, how did you get interested in the um, pursuit of study and academic research? Um, I was a very uh, bookwormish kid, um, just read all the time. Um, like so I, British. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> like stereotypically awkward, no interest in actually talking to human beings. Um, I would read, like walking to the bus stop. Oh, that's from so cool. my school. It's like just no, they're just ridiculous. Like I would sit in the playground at primary school and read a book yeah. <laughs> instead of running around with the other kids. Um, so that, just to stop you there, that's so awesome. Like I, I only. I'd read, I think, probably two or three books in my entire life, like probably skimmed them until I was like 25. And oh, then I picked wow. the one book and I was and I was blown away. It was an audiobook actually. And I was blown away. And I was like, this is amazing. I love this. What is, what is this thing? And then now like, I've got I've got hundreds of books. I love books so much, especially audiobooks. And then I have the physical as well. And I flip mm -hmm. through, like I'm just obsessed. But anyway, I wish I grew up with like being obsessed with books because I feel like I'd be a much more smarter man. Um, I've anyway. there are definitely uh, bits of bits of knowledge and vocabulary. Like Josh will sometimes ask me, "What does this word mean?" and I'll tell him, and he'll be like, "How do you know?" And I was like, "Well, I read this book once." <laughs> That's literally yeah. the answer to most things in my brain. I read it in a book, um, and actually, my my reading journey went the opposite direction to you. I haven't read regularly. Um, at least nonfiction, probably since I was in my early twenties, um, because I I, um, I have ADHD, and one of the ways that it manifests is I get very well hyperfixated on things, and I get hyperfixated on books, which means that if I start a book, I have to finish it. I have to finish it as soon as is humanly possible, which means I stop doing things like sleeping and um, like responding to emails and phone calls and work and. So I am trying to, now I'm finally medicated for it. So I'm trying to kind of slowly ease my way back into the waters of reading for pleasure um, without completely losing sight of my actual life. Um, yeah. So that anyway, I was yeah very bookish as a child, um, loved history, loved Greek mythology specifically. Um, and then I did classics at uh, high school. I went to one of the, I think, few high schools in the UK that still offered classical um literature and archaeology and stuff um and I loved it thought it was wonderful and then I took a complete detour and went to art school for two years um and when I was and I was actually in my first year of jewelry school my sister went to the city I was living in Birmingham uh to go to an open day at the local university and she went to the open day for the ancient history degree program. And I went with her because I hadn't seen her for a while and it was, I could take a day off and we kind of wandered around the campus and had lunch together. And I sat through the, like the orientation lecture for the prospective students thinking about taking ancient history. Um, and it was a lecture by a classicist called Ken Dowden. And I sat there and was just completely enthralled for, it was only 30 minutes, but I was literally hanging on every word. Um, and I came out and I said to Erin, I, I have to do this. This is everything I've ever wanted to know. Um, so she ended up going to York to do archaeology and I um, applied to Birmingham and I got accepted. Um, so I left the jewellery degree and I did yeah, the undergraduate degree in ancient history. And while I was there, I met my master's advisor, Dr. Alistair Livingston, who sadly 
uh, died just over a year ago. He he had COVID um, and passed. Um, but he was my uh, thesis advisor for my undergraduate degree. And he asked me once what I wanted to do after I graduated. And at that point, I was still very heavily into classics and I wanted to go on and be a classicist. I wanted to focus on Greek mythology. And I told him all this. And he kind of, kind of undenied. He said that I can see you being very good at that. Um, it's certainly very interesting. The problem with the classics is that really everything's already been written. There's nothing terribly new. They've, they're not going to discover any new texts. There aren't really any major archaeological sites that haven't been unearthed. Have you considered a seriology? Um, because they're pulling tablets out of the ground on a daily basis and we need people just like you to read them and to tell everyone else about them. And I said, that's amazing. I will do that. Uh, so I did. <laughs> <laughs> did my first master's degree with him um, and then went on to to get into the PhD program at Johns Hopkins. Wow, that's so awesome. So uh, like before I interviewed um, Josh, I had no idea what a seriology was. I had to, I think I even had to Google how to pronounce it because like, uh, it, it, and, I, and I, I'm really, I'm not very uh, educated with history. And so I was amazed to learn it's like, you know, the first civilizations, the study mm -hmm. of Mesopotamia, the first civilizations on earth. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, so I, I would, am I, am I assuming correctly that you obviously, you don't hold to the Bible as like a, you don't have like a Kent Hoven perspective no. of the Bible yeah. where it's like, yeah. yeah cool. I try, and I think I succeed to do my best and uh, think I do quite well at treating the Bible as an historical text or a collection of historical texts um, and insisting that they be placed back in the culture, the time, the place they were written in to understand them more fully. Um, it's mythology okay. and and mainly mythology. I'd love I'd love to talk I'd love to get into that a little bit, but I first really want to hear how you met Josh. Sure. So um, he was a couple of years ahead of me in the PhD program at Hopkins. Uh, he was actually one of the first people I met. Um, the way a lot of PhD interviews in North America work is that you go in. You talk to the professors, you talk to the person who would be advising you, and then often there will be a social like get together with the other PhD students to kind of make sure that you mesh with the existing community. Um, so Josh and the other two serologists there, Caleb, um, who works in the UK now, and Anna, who works in Germany, I believe, um, we all went out for lunch. Um, so they could kind of get to know me, I could get to know them and we kind of talked and it was really nice and like they're a great group of people. Um, so that was like our first meeting. Um, and then once I got to Hopkins, he was he was a friend. He was really helpful. He showed me like where all the relevant texts were in the library, which he always laughs about, but was actually incredibly helpful because academic university libraries are big and all of the Assyriological kind of ancient Near Eastern stuff was located mostly on one floor and he showed me like the relevant stacks and um, the study room that the ancient Near Eastern students had. And then at one point he taught me like, um, for people who don't know, quite often graduate students will act as um, like teachers, teaching assistants. Um, so he taught me uh, Sumerian and Akkadian for a semester, I believe. Um, Yes, and like we studied together and worked together and we were friends. Um, and then he got uh, 
scholarship. He got the Fulbright scholarship and the day our day um, to go to Germany for a year um, and work with um, a specific Assyriology professor in um, the city of Tübingen. And while he was there, his um, his then wife Tara um, said that she wanted to divorce, um, which is one of those like in retrospect, like they didn't and they would both say this, uh, Tara's a good friend of mine now, um, like they would both say it was not a good relationship for them. They married very young. They were both very religious. It was kind of, you meet a girl you like, you get married, you have kids. It's, it's what you do. And then later you kind of find out that actually you're not terribly compatible. Um, so she she decided that the incompatibility was an actual problem. Um, and they divorced while he was out there. And then he and I kind of started talking more romantically um, while he was in Germany. Um, and then we, we kind of started dating when he got back. Um, yeah. And then he proposed to me in the library. <laughs> oh, <that's> <laughs> it was really cute. He roped two of our friends into it. Um, oh. so the, the library at Hopkins has a study room for the, um, Near Eastern studies students. And he had one of our friends, Diwana, who's an archaeologist, kind of waiting, loitering outside the study room to make sure we weren't suddenly surprised by a professor. Because um, it's it's the reference section. It's where you go to get like all the dictionaries and all of the archaeological reports. So she was kind of loitering outside. And then our other friend, Anna, was in there. Um, and we'd gone in to, to check something. I can't remember. Um, and suddenly, like, our song started playing. And I was like Anna's phone is playing this this song that, that is ours and I was like that's a really weird ringtone for Anna to have because it's like, <laughs> that's just bizarre um and then I turn around and <laughs> Josh is on one knee <laughs> oh that's so awesome it was very very cute and I think I swore at him um <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's so good that's it's so funny because uh, it's similar, something similar to my uh, Wi-Fi. I was so nervous when uh, we went up on like a hot air balloon and went to a winery afterwards. And I, I she thought it was a Christmas present. And uh, I ran down. I, I was like, oh, um, she was eating. I was so nervous. And she's eating her breakfast. And I was like, oh, we should go um, take a photo. She's like, can I finish my breakfast? It's like, no, no. No. Um, oh, I was like, the shadows are going to change. And it will, like, you know, photography. And, oh, you know, I'm over real food. And she's like, really? Can I just? It was like she was just eating a like, little piece of bacon or something. And I was like, oh, no, no, we should. Oh, honestly, oh, the shadows. We can come back for food. I was panicking. <laughs> and we got down there. And um, and I, 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 like, she we were walking down, like, in between the rows of um, vineyard walking down there in between the rows and uh i'm walking ahead because i'm so anxious like i'm, I'm like powering down in running she's like, door she's like dawdling like what is he doing why is he so like anyway and i like set up the camera and i like put it there and i walk up to her and she's on her phone she's doing like a panorama and she goes oh you ruined my photo and i said oh sorry and i got on one knee and i was like here and she's like ah and she freaked out and i got, I got all on video and stuff yeah <laughs> i got all on video and stuff but it was um it was yeah it was one of those things where it's like it's so funny always hearing the 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 uh the, the woman's perspective in that because it's like usually like what's going on and like oh it's yeah. like a big surprise yeah like i uh, i knew he was going to propose at some point i i designed my engagement and wedding band set um i knew it was coming um but like i was still completely and utterly shocked somehow he'd managed mm. to get the rings because the uh 
a designer like a jeweler that we know or that my mother knows in the UK ended up making my engagement set and they FedExed it over and like he got it sent to Anna's house and then Anna ran it up the road to him and he kind of was like I have to go and move the car because the street cleaners are coming and he ran downstairs and I was like okay I'm just gonna sit here and read my book and do some work and it's all fine he like sprinted to her house and then sprinted back again like yeah i was i completely shocked <laughs> that's uh, that's so good i i yeah that's a, such a beautiful story um that's so good <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah uh, i love you guys you guys are amazing like you guys <laughs> like i love what you do on twitter and stuff i really like you guys uh so i did want to so we've already talked a little bit about your religious beliefs mm -hmm. um but i'd like to go into like what is your religious beliefs because i know that a lot of people um would say wait so you don't believe in the inherency of scripture what is what is christianity to you do you believe that jesus rose from the dead do you believe uh, that we're going to heaven do you believe in hell like all mm -hmm. those sorts of things like do you have you thought much about those things or do you not care and just enjoy the culture or have you got like some theological answer that's going to blow my mind? Um. <laughs> I wish. No. Um, so I, I think a good part of it is cultural. And I've, mm. I've talked about this publicly before and there have been comments from other British people saying it, it, it's a very cultural thing. Like theology did not figure in really any way, shape or form in my childhood experience of religion. Um, we obviously had Bible readings and sermons based around those readings that were kind of like, be a good person, don't fuck up, like, be nice to other people, maybe, probably a good way to go. Um, so, and then I was kind of, you are taught like with, I think, probably every other branch of Christianity that yes, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, um, and will come again um, to redeem us all. <sighs> that was never like, the resurrection was um, kind of the more of a focus than the second coming. So it, I was probably well into my teens before I really kind of unpacked what the second coming was. Hmm. And like, do I think that's happening? Probably not. Do I believe in the resurrection? Very fuzzy on that, if I'm honest, very fuzzy. Um, but the thing, the thing for me is that how I relate to whatever divine being there is isn't reliant upon a resurrection having been physically like real um mm. and so many people will tell me that i'm not an actual christian and okay um mm. i get told all the time i wasn't that was never a true christian um yeah yeah it's it's distressingly common, honestly, because especially and, and Josh gets that a lot. And he was he was a pastor, he was a chaplain in the Air Force. Like the man knows his theology. He has a master's degree in theology. Like just just because you think differently now doesn't mean that your faith was never true or real or valid. I think that's an incredibly insulting and mean-spirited thing to say. And I like I get why people say it, because if if someone 
if someone who seemed so um such a like the right kind of christian can deconvert then it's scary because it means that maybe you oh, can't yeah yeah so I, I i understand but at the same time it, it's massively insulting to a very large number of people who have experienced very real harm at the hands of both the church and other religious people um so yeah i don't i don't really know to be honest i don't and it's one of those things that has kind of got both more difficult and less difficult as i've kind of aged when i was in aged like i'm ancient as when i was in like my early 20s late teens early 20s kind of going through my undergraduate and my first master's degree like it really really bothered me it, I found it very very scary that I didn't know how I felt and that a lot of what Christ, other Christians seemed to believe and think felt very wrong to me and but they were like, but, but look, it, it's in the Bible and it is indeed in the Bible. Um, and if it's in the Bible, does that mean it has to be true? And if it doesn't have to be true, then really what am I basing any belief in if I'm, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing and, and using the Bible as my basis? Um, and kind of as I've got older and, and come to view the Bible as a collection of historical texts rather than the divinely inspired word of God. I think it's, it's become a lot easier because yes, slavery is endorsed by the, the old test, the old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Whoa. Spoilers alert. You just got to get them to read the book. They gotta... <laughs> read the book and find out. Yeah, read the book and find out. It absolutely was. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, okay. That the it's a it's a text from the ancient Near East. It, that is what they did. Slavery was a thing, and there were rules and regulations around its practice. And having a collection of texts from the ancient Near East, which the Hebrew Bible is, endorsing and regulating the practice of slavery is not like an earth shattering thing. It 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 makes sense to me. Of of course it does. It's it's what everyone did. That doesn't make it right. I'm not excusing it, um, but it's not it surprising to me. Yeah, like my perspective, it makes sense historically. Yes, yeah. It becomes that, it becomes yeah, it becomes absolutely. very hard to say it was ordained by God. Like that mm -hmm. seems that's where it gets confusing. Yeah, and I, um, and I, I mentioned this. No, no, Sorry, you, uh, you I was I was mentioning that like because a lot of Christians make the argument that God was working in His time. Right. And I've, I've made the argument to people that, well, do you think if God was to give instructions now, they'll send um, Megan or myself up to Mount Sinai and we ought to get some instructions or something. Um, and do you think God would give instructions on how Christians should run their OnlyFans? Do you think he yeah. would say, like, you know, only do um, two oral sex videos a week, uh, anal only on Tuesdays, um, do boob videos on like, like yeah. that seems immediately heretical like immediately a christian can realize that's messed up but a lot of people make a lot of money and they could use that money to save a lot of people through only fans right. no problem with only fans obviously but but the, the the point is is like that's seen as a sin um slavery it's not seen by well it, it, well a lot of christians would say it's a sin but i don't know sorry yeah, it is now but it wasn't yeah 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 
So yeah, anyway, what were you saying? Um, I I think the the thing. So Josh and I talked about religion like early on when we were like just friends, um, and he he explained it as or explained the Hebrew Bible and well, no, just the Bible generally as a record of one particular, well, I guess two particular cultures way of interacting with the divine that they saw in the world around them. And I like that explanation very much. Um, and I think that probably resonates with me because I, I never saw the reason for Christ, well, for the belief in a God to be like to the exclusivity of other deities. Like when I when I was in high school, um, I joined like the the students Christian group, and I was like twelve or thirteen. I was one of the youngest members there, and I remember saying to um, like the sixth grader who was running it, she would have been what seventeen, eighteen. Do you think when people die, they just like they go to whatever heaven it is that they believed in when they were living. Like the ancient Egyptians went to their version of the underworld and like Christians will go to their heaven and like the Norse um, people who believe in the Norse gods will go to Valhalla and she's like, Megan, no, that's blasphemy. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like, I don't know if it's true, but I like it. I think it yeah. would be a nice way for the world to be. Um, it, it so is, the, the it, idea, it just the, the idea that, that this particular record of um, an interaction or a relationship with a divinity, like it doesn't have to be factually correct, obviously, because I, I'm not here to like say I can prove the existence of God. I'd be like the world's wealthiest woman. I could do that. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's proof of humanity's attempt to build a relationship with something greater than ourselves. And I think, Aside from the historical value of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, I think there is there is value in recognizing that um, recognizing that that's something that's happened through most of human history, like that attempt to explain and relate to and build a relationship with whatever is kind of out there that we don't understand and obviously as our understanding of of the natural world has developed and increased there's less and less um like not many people worship like thunder anymore because we can explain what it is um but there are many other things that we can't explain and i think um seeing how people have like anthropomorphized that whether or not they're right is really really fascinating to me and i i really enjoy that kind of relationship um hmm. greater than yourself yeah that's um that's very interesting do you, so you've, you've probably obviously heard of the the elephant theory like where you know a bunch of blind people are touching an elephant mm -mm. And they, have you heard this before mm -mm, no uh, so uh, it's like a bunch of blind people are touching an elephant and they're describing parts of the elephant and they're saying oh this elephant this thing is it has big strong legs or this thing has a trunk or this thing has tusks and they're all touching different parts of this elephant and they're all getting a little bit wrong because they're touching different parts mm. they don't get the whole picture um and you know this person touching the task is explaining it as hard and strong uh, hard and firm and brittle and then the person touching the legs and the tail are different and that's the idea that that's what a lot of people 
um, who subscribe to the, like a lot of people subscribe to that idea when it comes to God and beliefs, that religions are connecting with something, whether or not it's mm. true or not, and that thing they're describing, their subjective experience, they're all describing it differently based on their presuppositions as they go into it. And I can almost get on board with that because... It's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I would say I'm an agnostic atheist because I don't have evidence to, um, to, I used to be a Pentecostal youth pastor. I don't know if you knew that, but I, um, I'm now, I'm now, I now reached a spot where I was, I was like, I could no longer be convinced. I was no longer convinced of the evidence, but it doesn't make mean that, you know, the moments when I, I, I still had moments of like huge, uh, emotional, you know, crying, weeping. I had Pentecostal ish moments, you know, like speaking in tongues and, and, uh, and feelings of elation, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I just don't know what they are. I just, I just don't subscribe a truth claim to them mm. anymore because I know yeah. other religions are the same. Uh, and this, this is a kind of tangent, tangential, but kind of what, uh, to the, both what you're saying and to the elephant thing is, is elephants. Again, I remember when, when I was dealing with a death in the family or, and a, and a friend was, de- sorry, a friend was dealing with the death in their family, but it's helped me as well. I found out that that elephants, like the animal elephants, they actually mourn their, yeah. their, like that blew my mind that they'll, they'll mourn their a loss of their community. And they'll even like years later when they come back to the spot, if the, where the uh, elephant part of their group or herd, I don't know what it's called, um, have, has died. Um, and the elephants has been taken away and it's been changed. The area has been changed. They'll still come back to that same spot and stand around for a little bit. And then they'll kind of wander off. And I was like, damn, like not even elephants escape mm-hmm. grief, not even the animal kingdom, like the animals, like, I don't, they, I don't think they're thinking that there is some like divine afterlife or God or something, but like they. Remembrance have, of something lost though. Yeah. They have like this subjective experience that they're, mm-hmm. and for some reason, I don't know why, but it helped me and it helped my friend when we're both dealing with the grief of the death. It's like knowing that not even the elephants mm-hmm. uh, escape. The, this subjective experience not even animals escape this subjective experience of something bigger or, or mourning or loss mm-hmm. or you know, subjectivity and mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i don't know if that's uh relevant super relevant but yeah it's i find what you're saying is interesting i can almost get on but i could almost be a christian if that's the kind of christianity you're talking about i i'm um, like if we're honest i'm a very bad christian um like <laughs> very bad christian um <laughs> Okay I was saying, <laughs> I just, I just recently, I released it this morning. I interviewed uh, my wife, um, and uh, and I said, uh, and she kept saying, oh, "I'm such, I was such a bad Christian. I was such a bad Christian." I said, "You're a bad Christian, but you're a great person." Yeah, and that's why, why I loved her. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the same for you. You're a bad Christian, but you're a great person. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so I need to just quick look at my notes. So, Bible inherency. You don't believe the Bible is inherent, obviously. Um, mm. Faith to you is is do you so do you, do you have a perspective of like heaven and hell do you think there will be an afterlife or is i don't really no just... i so i don't i don't believe in a hell and i haven't for i think ever um mm. like the way the way god was kind of presented to me growing up was as as a like a loving caring deity who wants what's best for us and i'm like doesn't it doesn't really i mean obviously that's completely at odds with what's presented in the old testament but it, it the idea of a hell doesn't mesh with the belief that i was raised with um so i never really took that terribly seriously and heaven i don't i don't know i really don't know um 
the heaven described in the Bible is kind of unpleasant, honestly. Um, mm. Like the idea of kind of sitting around all day and praising God is, I mean, I'm going to be struck down with a bolt of lightning, but it sounds kind of boring. Um, mm. I think so. I don't know. I would like for there to be an afterlife, but I don't have any like, firm like belief in one. Um, mm. Mother always wants to be reincarnated. She wants to come back as a tree, which I think is, <laughs> is a pretty solid, pretty solid decision on her part. Um, Do you, yeah, I, I, gonna, I don't know. I, I was actually going to ask you, like, if you could choose between like the traditional afterlife or reincarnation to enlightenment, like Eastern thought, what <laughs> would you, if you could choose one and it would be automatically true, which one would you choose? Probably reincarnation, to be honest. It's a fun one, right? Yeah, it's like it is. a keep keep riding the roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it'd be so. I kind of wish it was true in a, in a would way. Would you want um, to remember though, or would you want it to be fresh each time you come back? I think that the I think the the I don't know. That's a good question. No, um, but I think that the the traditional thought is that there are some underlying things that come with you, like your karma and your dharma, but mm -hmm. your um but your like memories don't necessarily come, all come like, through. And that's why yeah. like, um, you know, that's why there are some like regressive memories of, of like people can remember their past lives and stuff, but I don't believe in any of it, but it would yeah. be cool. It'd be cool. It would be existence. cool. Or another one I think would be cool is if like you get to the end of your life and then um, someone takes off the goggles and you've been in this like alien arcade playing a <laughs> VR game. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that was an amazing ride. So that would be another another cool one. That would be cool. Uh, <laughs> um, so I've got a I've got a question. Um, if the Bible is not inspired by God, um, oh, actually, this is you could you could even do this if it was inspired by God. Um, but could someone make the argument that the canonization of actually scrap that first little thing? Okay. Could someone make the argument that the canonization of the Bible was inherently against God's plan? So to, to explain a little bit, like from the traditional Christian perspective, um, well, at least in the Pentecostal movement that I was involved in, God gave the Holy Spirit to witness to people and to, you know, people was to go or spread the gospel through healing and prayer and, and teaching and things like that. Nowhere do I know does it mention that, that people should compile a bunch of scriptures by God into a canon into the Bible and then use that to argue about abortion rights and LGBT issues and things like that. So I'm wondering whether or not you could argue from a theological perspective that the Bible, if you were to take the idea that God is real, that the Bible is actually inherently in action against God's. That's design. interesting. Yeah. I think you probably could argue that. Um, yeah. I mean, you could even say that the devil did it. You could even say that, that it was part of the devil's plan to, <laughs> to corrupt God by, to corrupt uh, to corrupt God and corrupt his like true thing. Yeah. But then, of course, I'm appealing to the Bible and you know um, the devil and the, all the stuff written about that to kind of debunk it. So it, it kind of it, it's like plugging an extension cord into itself again. Um, <laughs> that's an interest. That's a really interesting argument, though. Mm. I, I'm sure someone. I'm very bad at debating. I'm sure someone could make that 
very persuasively if they tried. Uh, I'm sure I'll get a bunch of hate mail from it and uh, the person will comment a bunch of times and I'll ask them to jump on Discord and have a discussion and then they'll delete all their comments right away because that's what seems to happen. Um, okay, so what is your so jumping into academia? What are your mm -hmm. specialties in the field of Assyriology? And just being, I'm just being careful on time, I yeah. because I, we do have a lot of great questions from the Discord. So yeah, sure. we'll, let's let's run through the academia to okay. make sure we. Um, so I'm an Assyriologist, which means I focus on the cultures, civilizations, and languages of Mesopotamia, ancient Iraq, parts of Syria. Um, my undergrad, well, no, my master's. No, sorry, too many degrees. Yeah, my first master's thesis. <laughs> Way too many. My first master's thesis was um, on the perceived relationship between the goddess Ishtar and the Neo Assyrian kings. So I, okay. I looked at um, a selection of uh, hymns and literary compositions about the goddess um, and some prophecies and, and look at the language and, and how the kings related themselves to the goddess. Um, so that was kind of like very royal propagandistic. Uh, and then it kind of continued into the PhD dissertation. Um, I did leave the PhD program before I completed, um, but I have like three quarters of a PhD dissertation just sitting on my hard drive <laughs> that one day I will finish. Um, but I, I worked on royal inscriptions um, from the like early third through to mid second millennium. Um, <laughs> um, so I kind of ended with, with around Hammurabi's time. Um, but the, the point of that dissertation was to look explicitly at, um, kind of relocating the language of the inscriptions onto the objects they were written on and then the objects themselves into the places where they were excavated. Um, when you work on inscriptions or textual evidence from the ancient world, quite often what you're presented with is um, a translation or a hand copy. So someone has, has drawn out the cuneiform and you, you read the drawing um, or you, if you're able to, you, you get hold of photos or you, you go and see the original artifact, but you work on the text. You don't really consider what it's written on why it was written on that object, like why that object in particular. Um, and then very often people also don't consider um, the archaeological context that that object, that inscription was found in. Um, so I made a database kind of um, compiling all that information, taking the inscriptions um, and like kind of the themes that they dealt with. So is it a building inscription? Does it include um, royal titulary? Does it include mention of which god or goddess? Is it a dedication inscription? Um, so all of that information plus what object it was found on, was it like a brick or a statue or um, like a weapon of some kind? Um, and then where that object was found and if it was... Um, like in a, in a primary or a secondary context. And a primary context is when an object is found in its place of use, where it was put by the people who made it. So if you're looking at royal inscriptions, quite often they're on building bricks. So was this brick like placed in a temple wall? Is it in the temple that it was originally put in? Has it been dug up and redeposited by a later ruler? Has it been thrown in a trash pit? Um, and if it's been moved somehow, the location it's found is then a secondary context because it's not where it originally sat. Mm. Um, so I, I made this database and then um, I was analyzing the data when I decided that actually um, I was going to go 
insane if I kept uh, pushing myself through academia. Uh, <laughs> I, I had uh, our son um, that year and uh, we didn't have any childcare. We still don't really have any help with childcare. Um, so I was essentially being primary caregiver for three children um, and trying to be a full-time student. And it was just, it, it wasn't working and I was very unhappy. Um, so we prioritized the family stuff and um, maybe I'll go back. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, so royal inscriptions um, and how, like who they were for, why they were written and, and where they were found. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I don't blame you for thinking that academic uh, take care of children and doing uh, and, and completing a PhD. Uh, I don't I don't blame you for being overwhelmed. Jeez. Um, uh, uh, that's yeah, it's and it's funny how you said my first master's degree. So you have two, right? I do. Yes. Yeah, it's so it's so awesome. Uh, uh, what a, what a thing I like about um, one of your videos is you actually decided to take a stab at the ridiculous notion um, of aliens and the you know like and the ancient world. Um, so I'd like to so let me just get this straight. So the pyramids weren't built by aliens. Is that what you're trying to they say? They were not. And I realize this is a mm. controversial statement for men, but they were not. Not even a little but, bit. But they're pretty accurate in regards to something, something, something. I mean, they're, they're pyramids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I uh, I work for a surveying and town planning firm. We do, do surveying. And I remember one of my friends once said to me, um, you know, the, the, they, we don't even have instruments today that are as accurate as they built the pyramids. Has he and seen he said, the pyramids? And I well, no, obviously not. And I said, um, and I said, really? And he goes, yeah, they're, they're so square that we don't have instruments that can. And I was like, and I'm thinking like, we have instruments that can measure the 0.1 of a millimeter. Like I'm, I'm not, okay. I'm like, okay. So we looked up the maths and I was like, these, I think they're like something like two minutes out of alignment, which is not much in regards to mm. ancient, but two minutes, like, so you get like 60 minutes and then 60 seconds within each minute. If you, if over 200 meters, um, one second is two millimeters of, of, of error. When we're doing like just a shopping center set out, you can't be within, you gotta be within three mils, three, four mils of accuracy. A shopping center is hundreds of times more accurate than <laughs> the pyramids. Um, we definitely have technology today uh, that can do it. Uh, and it's just amazing. Where do you think this comes from? This notion that the pyramids and ancient, the ancient world had. So where it originally came from was racism. Um, oh, really? Yes, absolutely. And there are many people who have dedicated their careers to explaining this. And uh, if people are interested, please email me. I will give you a reading list. Um, oh, no, we will put it. We will put on a reading list in this in the, sure. the description too. Yeah. Um, so uh, at its core, ancient alien theory was created to explain why black and brown people built monuments that white people didn't. Um, Oh, <laughs> because if 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 you think about it, there are very few ancient alien theories about Stonehenge or something similar. Yeah. And the ziggurats, the pyramids, um, the monuments in South America, 
all aliens, definitely. Absolutely aliens. And I, I'm not, I want to be very clear. I am not saying that people who enjoy ancient alien theories or who promote them today are necessarily racists. Mm-hmm. Um, I am saying the theories are rooted, yeah, the theories are rooted in racism. Um, and I think a part of why they are so popular is that it's just, it, it's science fiction. It's science fiction made real. And mm. love, I love, I love science fiction. It was, mm. I think, my most read book genre when I was a kid. Absolutely mm. love it. Space travel, mind control, all, all of it. It's beautiful. I, it, I love it. Um, so it, it appeals to a popular audience on that level because it, it reads like fiction. And because if, if the TV producers are very clever, they can manufacture loose ends that don't actually exist if you look at the archaeology, but they can manufacture loose ends and then the ancient alien theorists can come in and kind of tie it all up with a nice neat bow. And it's very satisfying to have all of these loose ends and to have an explanation that answers all of them. Um, and the the one of the videos on our channel, I, I try and go through one of the episodes of um, Ancient Aliens um, and kind of point out places where they are deliberately misleading the audience. Yeah, um, you, you're pausing a lot because like that was, that thing was, yeah, I watched that video. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I need to remake that video because I was, I think a little too dismissive, um, not of the experts, um, but possibly a little too dismissive of the people who enjoy um, alien theories. And I feel like I alienated a lot of, haha, alienated. <laughs> alienated a lot of people. Um, but if, if you watch that episode, you're right. I, I pause it a lot because they deliberately set things up to create questions and to create mysteries that actually don't exist. Um, mm. At one point they're, they're talking about underground caverns and they're like, they go on for miles and they date back to this like ancient history. And if you go and just read the Wikipedia page for these caverns, actually like a tiny, tiny area of them do date back very, very late, but most of them are Byzantine. Most of the caverns are, are relatively modern history. Like, and they were trying to argue that they were they were made to escape the flood. No. Wait, no. so ancient alien theorists cross with young earth creationists? Ah, shocking, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. That's actually that's surprising. It's um I've always noticed like I'm dealing for some reason I'm dealing with a lot of flat earthers at the moment. Um and they they they, they I had an interview with the flat earther, and I'm, what I'm noticing about conspiracy theories is a lot of them, it's just a lot of it is just satisfying. Like yeah. like emotionally, people feel like they they know are part of You've got secret knowledge, and mm. you can answer questions that no one else can. I mean, it it doesn't really matter that they're not actual questions, mm. and it doesn't matter that the answers are like maybe too simple because actually life is is very messy and complicated and shades of grey mostly. But no, you're right. Emotionally, very satisfying. Absolutely. Mm. Very- don't really fault people for wanting to be or being willing to be drawn in by it. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to ask about, um, I, I about something I, I, I posted an antagonistic claim on Twitter that, um, 
that it's clear to me that mythesis only are mythesis for the fields, like that 99% of them are only mythesis for the fields. And what I was essentially saying is that is it's is people enjoy the idea that, that Jesus didn't wasn't a historical figure. And so that's why they, it's not because they've done the research, it's because they like the idea and they subscribe to the beliefs and then they look at the evidence and then they convince the evidence because they want it to be true. Mm. Um, Godless Engineer, who I didn't realize was a huge mythicist, um, uh, challenged me on this and we mm -hmm. got in and I jumped on his channel and we had a discussion about it. And I was like, look, um, I wrote, I wrote an, uh, a syllogism for it. I hadn't thought about it too much. And I was like, look, I hate when people make antagonistic claims and then someone challenge, I challenge them and then they, water it down so i'm going to stand by my arguments mm -hmm. and i want you to correct me where i'm wrong uh and i just said yep and i broke down my syllogism and by the end i had a better understanding of mythicism but i'd like to un uh, i'd like to ask your perspective of what you think of myth jesus mythicists if you know anything about it so i i don't which is okay awful i really should um so i will say that john is is a good friend um and i think he is very well researched and very well read um yeah and i know that mythicism generally is viewed as it's not taken seriously by academics mm. um on the whole and i i like i haven't i haven't done the research myself to really have yeah. formed a good opinion of it um yeah Exactly but I, like, I do feel like people dismiss it out of hand. Which um, I did. And, uh, and you're certainly not alone on that. Um, mm. People definitely dismiss it out of hand. And um, I, I, unless, unless you can come up with a, like a, a good answer for why it should be um, dismissed, I think I do, I do see why people get quite so frustrated. Mm. Um, well, well, John, John definitely took me to task and it, it was a bit of a spicy, uh, interview, but by the mm. end of it, you know, we were friends and like, he's going to come onto the deep drinks hopefully. Mm. And, um, you know, it was great. Uh, I learned a lot and, um, and stuff, but my, my argument was essentially, um, most scholars disagree, um, um, with the, like most scholars are not mythicists. Therefore I have to wonder why they're not mythicists, um, and why other people are. So therefore, Mm -hmm. People are doing, people are believing for non-scholarly reasons. And he challenged me on that. And he said, well, the scholarship is biased because they come from a traditional Christian view. Mm -hmm. And I was like, interesting. And I never really considered, yeah. I never really considered the, I, I would always just point to consensus because I'm not an expert. I'll just point to the consensus. I do that with vaccines. I do that with, mm -hmm. with everything. I point to the consensus, but um, I, I'm, I'm yet to really give a good thought and consideration to yeah. his point. That's, honestly, that's 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 one of the reasons why I have maybe not found the time to look into it. I do have a bias, like mm. for all that I don't think the resurrection was a physical event. For all that I'm not entirely sure where I stand on like the Christian God. Jesus is. I have like I, I, I like him. <laughs> I I I like a, a lot of the things that he said and or is supposed to have said, and I I I have a bias, and I'm I'm not entirely sure how successfully I could mitigate that bias in looking mm -hmm. whether or not he was a real person. Yeah, 
it's it's actually interesting because your perspective of Christianity, I think, might actually fit well with a mythicist position because it's not necessarily this is what I learned from John. It's not necessarily the idea that Jesus never existed and it's all just BS. It's more of a there's these I think there is some theories of like the ideas and stories about Jesus were actually like um, stories about the spirit realm and like jesus like it all ha it's all happening in a uh, metaphorical kind of spirit allegorical yeah it's it's not as it's not as just like jesus didn't exist lol mm -hmm. like it's not it's not as it's like that as I thought. That. yeah so i i will when i do find some some spare time in my brain to move some things around and find some time for it i do really want to look into it but i'm still not convinced that it has any merit but i'm willing to look into it mm -hmm. um and john john was a great guy so yeah uh so i think we should move on to the q a because uh, i don't want to keep you till midnight um uh so i have a bunch of questions from i have eight questions from uh discord community some of them you've already answered though so it might not be as long as we um think but um this is one question that dr josh your um, husband um who I don't need to tell you that he's your husband. I don't know. So, uh, Dr. Josh, uh, <laughs> mentioned, and I keep saying Dr. Josh because it's like, I know it's his branding and it's like, Dr. Josh, Dr. Josh. So I'm trying to like, no, you gotta, you gotta stay on brand. So, um, he, he said that you may have a really, this would be a really good question to ask you. Um, and, uh, I, I think this is the question. What is your opinion of the theory of Assyrian continuity? uh you mean that so is still a, a cultural group group that exists today yeah so um this is what because i asked the person for clarification because last time I, I didn't know what the person was actually asking um so it's a concept that modern day assyrian communities claim to be descendants of ancient assyrians um all the way back to akkadians sure do you think I, that I, has I, I, again it's it's not something i i have researched but i mean I, okay i don't sure do you think it's um, do you think well do you think it's it's got much do you are you do you know if it has much merit to it or is it it's uh, I, so I genuinely i genuinely don't know and i would also be very careful about weighing in on an argument about a culture that i am not a part of um, yeah it's enough. so for for me an analogy would be josh josh's ancestors didn't come over as pilgrims right or at least not the original pilgrims um he wasn't here his family wasn't here for the first thanksgiving but we as a family still celebrate thanksgiving any every year are we entitled to do that because we weren't here for the first one i think i think so am i entitled to do that as um an immigrant an immigrant who is not even going to attain or has no plans to attain american um nationality I think I do. Um, if a people group finds strength and pride and identity in a connection with the ancient past, I think that to deny that, especially for me from a position of um, privilege and... Uh, uh, yeah, let's stick with privilege. Um, I think I'm on very shaky ground if I take issue with yeah. that without having 
actual solid anything to back it up with. Um, mm. Now, obviously, you do run into problems. I'm not saying this about the Assyrian community, but with with some um, you can think about like neo Nazis, for example, drawing um, direct lines from the Norse gods to their current culture. You run into problems with things like neo nationalism and and um, yeah. So I I it can definitely be a very problematic practice. Um, you should get Ocean on to talk about folkism if you have not had him as a guest. He's an excellent no. human. Um, he yeah he'd be a very good person I imagine to ask about this kind of topic. But I it, it can be very problematic. But I am not going to sit here and say that no, there can't possibly be um, a connection, a cultural connection between. Um, the Assyrians that I study in, in ancient history and, and Assyrians of, of the modern world. Okay. Um, okay, cool. Uh, is the claimed Kurdish nativity to Upper Mesopotamia slash Anatolian mountains true, or is the Kurdish history much more nomadic? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> sometimes, that's, sometimes that's the best answer. And this, this, th these questions, these, these are the tough questions. So I'm hitting you with the tough ones first. If you've um, got anything around like 2500 BCE, hit me with it. Um, well, I have no I, idea. I, I'll, I'm, I'll I'm just only... have anything you've got, but um, just for viewers, I'm really sorry. I don't like really no. come into modern history at all. That's okay. You guys uh, have a lot of uh, uh, history um, on your channel. And am I correct in assuming that you're playing with the idea of possibly doing a Hebrew course? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. Josh has been talking about doing a, a Hebrew class. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, we, he's, he's actually written the syllabus out. We haven't sat down and decided like dates or how many. I think he was talking about 12 or 14 classes, um, but we don't have dates for those. Okay, um, I had no interest in um, learning Hebrew, um, but since learning that Josh is the teacher and also hearing the stories about him and his buddy with a dictionary in a room just talking to each other, I've gotten more and more interested and uh, and I've been looking into the Hebrew language and I might be a student. So uh, if you guys end up doing, doing that, um, let us know. And if anyone watching this ends up doing that, you might see me there as a student and we can uh, jump onto the Discord. I will say Josh is, is a very good teacher. Um, he enjoys it and it shows and he has, um, I think he, and I obviously I would think this, but I like, I think it's true. I think he has a talent for breaking down complex concepts and explaining them in a way that people understand without like having prior knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I'd, I'd say, I'd, well, from what I've just seen on your on your channel, that seems accurate as well, from my perspective as well. Um, why do you think the Babylonians are portrayed as more antagonistic than the Assyrians in the Bible, or just because um, in like. So Assyrians, so he clarified, Assyrians are the sole cause for the loss of the 12 tribes of Israel. Why still is Babylon seen as the perfect depiction of a sinful and godless civilization of whom all the people are the sons of whores? <laughs> Quote, sons of whores. I don't know. Okay, that's, that's hey, hey um, it's more uh, friendly to say I don't know then. I mean, it could be, if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that the Assyrians greatly admired Babylonian culture and literature. Um, a lot of the literature you see in Akkadian, in Assyria, has been lifted 
from Babylon, um, the library of Ashurbanipal, where we have like the vast majority of, of Mesopotamian literature. Um, he took a lot of, of tablets, a lot of literature from southern Mesopotamia, from Babylon, when it was under Assyrian rule. So it, it's it's possible maybe that whoever wrote and compiled the Hebrew Bible saw that chain of transmission and decided that while the Assyrians may have been arrogant, violent bastards, the ideas originally, like the the threatening ideas, the mythology originally came from Babylon. So it it's really their fault. Um, I mean, there may also have been like a residual memory of of southern Mesopotamia as like home of the first big cities, but that that's a stretch. Hmm. Okay. Um, so you moderated the um, big debate between Ehrman and Lacona I did. Um, regarding the resurrection of Jesus, the history, historicity. Um, first of all, what did you think? And secondly, was there anything that stood out to you um, as new or interesting or a great point from either side? Um, so for some context, that was seven hours. Um and just a brief seven hours it, it, yes indeed um nothing i mean nothing new in terms of content if you've watched any of barton mike's debates um on other platforms before it's very much the same material uh, the way they presented it was different they've obviously honed their arguments over the years but it was it was this a lot of the same material um i think what stood out to me is the thing that actually stands out to me with all of their interactions how, how very civilized they are towards each other um they clearly have a very fundamental disagreement about i suspect a lot of things uh, not least of which is is the resurrection um but despite that disagreement they are able to keep the debates i wouldn't say calm necessarily because there were heated moments and i think that's fine and appropriate but it was always civil. Um, mm. And I think that that is something that is um, noteworthy, uh, especially when you are talking about religious beliefs. Um, because if you often, if you talk to religious people and you tell them that you don't agree with their views and you lay out why you don't agree with their views, you will get yelled at. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. It's not really like a, a content no, answer but no, I, I think they both did a good job i'd like it it's not one of the one of the reasons they asked me to do it was because i'm not a new testament specialist i don't have that background or training um mm. so i can't say really whether any of the evidence presented was terribly new or noteworthy um but i i enjoyed it it was a, a very um it was an interesting experience uh, and I, yeah, I was I was just impressed with both of them. Mm. I think part of the reason why they chose you is because you and Josh are the new darlings of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just. Um, so, what do you can? This is this might be a good one. Um, what do you? Uh, I'm going to ask two questions. What do you consider is the greatest argument for Christianity? And then the next question is, what do you consider the greatest argument against Christianity? Um. Uh, 
Well, we can if that if that question doesn't really work, we could change it a little bit and say, "What's your greatest argument for the, for God, and what's your greatest argument against God?" Or uh, I'm see, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't care. This is like a fundamental problem with my personality. I genuinely don't care. Um, <laughs> I believe what I believe, and that's fine. And most of my reasons are purely emotional. Um, and that, I'm okay that with is, that. <laughs> that is so, I'm so glad you answered like that. That's <laughs> exactly like, uh, you know, when I interviewed my wife, it was like, it was like, she has this amazing ability to, I'll burst through the door and be like, I found this thing. It changes our whole identity, like our whole life. Everything's changed. And she goes, oh, okay. Do you want a cheese board? And then she's like, Come. like she, she <laughs> does not, like she just, it just goes on. And I was asking her questions like, you know, what about the morality? Like, let's, I'm going to throw some evangelicals worst nightmares at you. And I was like, what if our kids are smoking? What if our 15 year old son comes home and he's like, here's my boyfriend. Or like, just, I was giving like really evangelicals worst nightmare questions or, um, and she was like, no, I don't care. And then at the end, she's like, I don't think that changed at all from when I was a Christian. And mm -hmm. she's like, I was a bad Christian. And I was like, you're a bad Christian, good person. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it just, I don't get it. You two are weird is what I'm saying. Uh, I don't get it. Cause I, I think maybe, so if I, if I had to like pick something, I think the best argument against would probably be the problem of evil. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that is something that a lot of religious people struggle with. If there is a good omnipotence, benevolent deity out there, why do bad things happen? Um, and why do evil people so often like, rise to the top and not get any kind of, um, not necessarily punishment, but why are mm -hmm. they not stopped from doing evil? Um, and I, I don't have an answer. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, and the thing, like, I don't, I'm not sure there is a good argument for God. Um, like, I'm not a philosopher. I can't like, give you a, a logical. Don't you actually have a master's degree in philosophy? Yeah, but the, that's just the, the degree title. I've never done any actual philosophy. Oh, okay. Um, the, yeah, I don't know why it's called a Masters of Philosophy. Okay, as an old white man decided it should be called that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that that's that's just the title of the degree that I have, but it was it was all history. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I can't like I can't give you a syllogism about like why why God exists because yeah. like again it's 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 emotional for me. It's I'm taking it on faith. Um, I yeah. I have no good argument for it. Well. I and this is one of the reasons um, why I really like you is you're very honest. You just say it how it is, and that's really good. A lot of a lot of people would like dance around that question and just and you know make up all these reasons where you're just like, eh, it's just I don't have a good reason. That's what I believe. And I go, okay, great. Like at least we can <laughs> at least we can have a conversation. Um, uh, so this one might be a bit of a hard question um, to answer, um, but if you were convinced that God was against homosexuality. Uh, or queerness, would you advocate that queer people live in celibacy? Absolutely. So this is, okay. This is interesting because obviously I've seen some of your videos about the Bible's historical context of homosexuality. Um, but the more, more specifically is the question is what if God, the creator of the universe was against the, it, he was against, he did not have made gay people. 
Interesting. Like, you are born with whatever sexuality you're born with. And if Mm. a creator deity does not like the sexuality that a particular person is born with, they should not have allowed that person to have been born with a sexuality. Um, Mm. If, if you're taking, if you're taking that viewpoint, punishing someone for the way they were made when they had no say in it, they had no input in it um, is abusive. It's absolutely abusive. And I know that, that a lot of evangelical thought tells you that actually gay people aren't born that way. They're influenced or they're brainwashed or they just want to do evil. It's it's bullshit. Um, Like science tells us that actually no people, people are, are on a spectrum of sexuality and, and, it's innate. It's inbuilt into their like who they are, um, and if God doesn't like it, God should not have done it. It's like when my son tells me that he doesn't like the fact that he's wearing the shoes he picked out for himself this morning. Well, if you didn't like those shoes, you'd be <laughs> different shoes. He's poor, so you know there's a reason why he's a contrary mm. little and so sometimes. Um, yeah, that that would be that would be my my thought process. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. And frankly, yeah, that's... a god. Sorry, um, a, yeah. a god who, a god who creates people in a particular way and then punishes them for being that way, and tells them you may not live your fullest life. You must not have any sexual expression because it is contrary to my wishes. Is an mm. abusive fuck, and I have no interest in believing or worshiping him. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 very. I mean, I agree. Like, it's very interesting. A lot of I've heard a lot of people talk about it as if it's like a thorn in your side. Like, like you know, it's like something that is there that you can't. Yeah, it's um, like character building, or or mm, like, no, no, no. It can be very abuse. If if we're taking that viewpoint, it's abuse. Yeah. So when did you choose to be queer? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I had to I, I had to just say something stupid. I actually interviewed uh I interviewed uh I've just I just have to I'd have to do it, but I interviewed uh Haley Brooke and she she actually lost her family when she came out as gay, which is really unfortunate because her mm-hmm. family was super religious. And halfway through the interview, I was like, wait, so so you're not into me, like like you're not and <laughs> just like I'm like I I don't know if I believe you, but you're not. So you're saying you're not attracted to me at all. Like this, this okay. doesn't right. I, <laughs> she burst yeah. out laughing. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, I just love, I love messing with people sometimes. Um, so last question, uh, and thank you so much for your time, but regarding your God belief, what evidence would change your mind? Or let's change that. What reason could you see to change your mind? You got a master's in philosophy, so you should be at a really good. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. And you don't care? I mean, not not really. Um, <laughs> it's. I always say that if if I deconvert, it will be because of other Christians. Um. Mm internet apologists evangelicals trying to decide what i can and cannot do with my body other evangelicals saying that vaccines are the work of the devil and like 
and it wouldn't even be a deconversion. It would be a realignment away from Christianity as a label and towards um, something else that is mm. not so openly toxic. Um, mm. And I have to say, moving here from the UK was an eye-opening experience coming into contact with American evangelicalism or evangel evangelism? Not yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, that particular branch of religion was like, is, is this real? Yeah. What, what are we doing? Do you yeah. think this is healthy and... Jesus was the most amazing American that has ever lived. I mean, um, he was. He really was. And did you know that Donald Trump is his second cousin? Are you joking? The people don't actually believe that, do they? I I, I don't know. I made that oh, up. It's entirely okay. no. Some. I mean, someone somewhere believes that something like that. Oh, surely. But I was gonna. If that was like a real thing that was going around, <laughs> no, I was no, about to like pass me. out from. <laughs> oh God. Oh jeez. Um, yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a reason. It would be other. It would be evangelical Christianity, and I. Mm. I don't think I deconvert. I think it would be a, a movement towards uh, some kind of pagan belief instead. Interesting. I. Uh, I. I. I'm just before when you were mentioning about the problem of evil. I forgot to mention that something that uh, came up when I was speaking to Arjuna of. Um, of theology unleashed um he's a Hare krishna and he said what well, what he found really interesting when he moved away from christianity into becoming uh, into vaishnavism i always screw that up Hare krishna belief system is that there is no problem of evil uh they don't have the problem of evil because of how their philosophical worldview works uh, i thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. um and just to touch on your last point about you know re, you know your beliefs and what would change your mind um i can kind of get on that same page because I actually about shifting your perspective to like a different thing because as I mentioned before my perspective is I had these tremendous warm feelings towards God and when I read the Bible even even now when I read the Bible I'm filled with this feeling of just mm -hmm. love and um sometimes not all the time it's not like yeah. Exodus 18 or whatever <laughs> um but uh I remember being we went to Bali I've told this story before we I was poolside. I had I had a couple of cocktails. I was listening to the Bhagavad Gita because it's a Hindu island. I wanted to learn more about Hindu culture. And chapter six of the Bhagavad Gita sounds something straight out of like Job or Isaiah or something. It's like, I am the flame and the wood. Um, I'm the wood and the flame that consumes it. I am the beginning and the end. I am the life and the life giver. And I am death and life. And, and there's all this kind of really poetic language. And I actually got like, feelings of like whoa like this like mm -hmm. warm beautiful feelings obviously the Bhagavad Gita has the caste system so I'd reject stuff like that as well but <laughs> but uh yeah but 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 I, I see what, where you're coming from if your belief system is inherently built on I believe this because it makes me feel good I don't really care about you know this like I, I it's it's uh I can see where you're coming from because I have I feel the same things when I when I read or think about the you know the idea of jesus saving humanity or mm -hmm. even if it didn't happen or did happen and i'm an atheist um or the bhagavad Gita, reading the bhagavad Gita, and even parts of the quran when i read that were really beautiful um some parts were absolutely horrible um mm -hmm. much like every religious text seems to have but yeah it was um so yeah i i, I think uh what you said there was really interesting um 
I, yeah. I did just remember, um, I did find some proof of the existence of God. Um, and I hoped she never ever sees this because she will disown me completely. Um, our nine-year-old, um, a year and a half ago now, was very excited. And uh, she came and she told me that she had Googled God and she'd found his photograph. So, you know, oh. problem solved. <laughs> Yeah, there, there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> he, he is, and he looks very much like Santa Claus. Um, and if yeah. you, you type God into Google, you too can can gaze upon his face. I, that's the, I wonder if, um, depending on where you are in the world, if there's different images come up. That's interesting. That's pretty interesting. Uh, well, thank you so much, Megan Lewis, for coming on to the Deep Drinks podcast. Just to shout you guys out one more time, go check out Digital Hammurabi, but also check out uh, what uh, did the Old Testament endorse slavery, even though Megan spoiled it before. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the thing is, if you read the book, then you find out all the whys and wherefores and all yeah. of the so. And it's super, it's super well-balanced too. Um, like it's got, like, it's, it's not, it's not Josh on his big atheistic agenda or anything. He just takes a really balanced approach. Um, you know, there's not much, it's, and it's very short too. It's not like hard to read. It's not, it's also not something that's like, um, I'm saying this in the best way possible, like super, like it's going to get you worked up because it's not doing yeah. that. It's just, this is what the consensus says. This is, this, this is the context we have. And this is yeah. how other academics, the majority yeah. of the academics interpret that evidence. Yeah, and I uh, yeah, and I really really enjoyed this, and I can't wait for volume two. I need to find out a way that I can get a signed copy from you guys because uh, I just uh, I want to have it on the bookshelf next to this one here. Um, and yeah. is there going to be two or three? There are going to be three total. Um, wow! So he's written volume two is is mostly written. It's in copy editing now. Um, no, yes, it is in copy editing now. Um, and then when it comes back, we're sending it out to a couple of people to review it. Um, Eric Klein has agreed to go over the archaeology chapters. He wrote um, 1066 and um, Digging Up Armageddon. Uh, no, Armageddon, Digging Up Megiddo. Um, he's a great author if you haven't uh, looked at his stuff and you like archaeology. He's definitely a person to look for. Um, so, yeah, it, that will be ready. It will be available before Christmas. Um, okay, so. awesome. And he's, he's um, planned out chapters for volume three as well. That might take a little bit longer because I'm going to make him take a break. Good, good. The man needs a break. He's doing too much. We're both are doing too much. You need to chill out. Um, we're not chill out, but just not take on so much stuff. You guys are doing heaps, it seems. Um, uh, another thing I will mention is the links for both these will be in the description, along with um, Megan and Josh's work on YouTube um, and things like that. I'll also put in a another section of book recommendations from Megan um, about the alien, ancient alien stuff. And I'm sure you might be able to throw in another few books that you you would just love for people to read. Absolutely. That will be linked down below in some resources. Um, but uh, besides that, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Megan. This tea was um, quite delicious. Um, it's nice not to be drunk at uh, 10 a.m. Uh, actually, um, <laughs> the gimmick's worn off a little bit. Uh, but next, uh, but tomorrow I've got another interview and that'll be, I'll be getting uh, drunk in that. So, uh, so thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, everyone check out your stuff and thank you. Of course.